John, here we go. MLB playoffs, college football, and the NFL. And we have Jeff Patton as the big get. Andrew, you're forgetting the biggest story out there. We're a year old. This pod's a year old. One thing we've realized, the best thing that you can do, bet on yourself. I would bet everything I have. They're going to let this thing go down to the two-minute warning. I may be walking home. <laughs> it's a big bet. That is a big bet. I read the New York Post. Third down and five. Nah, you win. <laughs> you won your bet. And we're back. The Morshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. As John likes to say, we're one year old. I'm Andrew Marshand, sports media columnist for the New York Post, and he's John Oran. John Arad. The media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And John, one year in the books. I know you're ready to celebrate. I'm more of like, let's just go to the next episode. But, uh, you know, put the, uh, do we have party tunes? Andrew, honestly, dealing with you is like dealing with my kids. It's okay to be proud. It's okay to get out there and celebrate a little bit. They're always like, dad, enough. Leave us alone. Well, that's a good point. You are much older than me. So I could refer to you as dad. <laughs> Very good point. Uh, one year. Now, it's been fun. Uh, and, you know, we're having some fun here, but uh, all sincerity uh, has been good. Uh, the show has uh, evolved as we've gone, and uh, hopefully it will c- continue to evolve. Uh, Jeff Passon a little bit later. So let's just get going. Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? All right, Andrew, let me start us off. My who's up, Doug Perlman of Sports Media Advisors. Who's Doug Perlman? Well, he's a guy who talked to my boss, Abe Madcor, your boss, Chris Shaw, and is the brains behind the Marshand and Oran Sports Media Podcast, uh, which we started October 6th was our first uh, date uh, last year. And it's been, a, it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. We've had big gets. Uh, you know, we Scott Van Pelt was our first. We've had Shaq. We've had uh, commissioners like uh, Gary Bettman, Steve Phelps of, of NASCAR. And it's been a lot more fun and a lot more work uh, than I was expecting for a, for a podcast. And it's, uh, I just wanted to acknowledge Doug, say thanks. He's now uh, the guy that's getting the big rights deal for, for the Pac-12. So he goes from the Marchand Oran Sports Media podcast to the Pac-12, a little bit of a downgrade, Doug. But yeah, I'm, try, uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to destabilize that. Uh, he, he <laughs> also uh, a lot of you might say he's who's down for helping to put together this podcast. All right, let's get to the show. Enough with the all right, it's one year. Great, we uh, we we have a podcast, okay. and we do appreciate though you guys, everyone listening. All right, who's up for me? Roger Goodell. Why the ESPN cut-ins to college football? I'm with you. I don't agree with them. Uh, and the only one who could stop them, the only one was more powerful than uh, the ESPN executives themselves to what's going on ESPN, presumably, allegedly, is Roger Goodell because ESPN last weekend uh, they cut into college football. Big to do on social and college football fans not liking that. And then Monday Night Football comes and you don't see Aaron Judge. Uh, I'm pretty sure the NFL is the one that's saying we're not going to give. We have 15 million people watching this game, maybe more. Uh, Derek Volner, uh, the NFL ESPN PR person can tell me that number is too low. Anyways, 
15 million, 17 million, whatever the number is between the Manny cast and uh, Buck and Aikman uh, are watching and they are not going to let uh, baseball come in and have Aaron Judge's home runs come up. That's a little inconsistency. So my finger points to, to Roger Goodell, but it's a who's up for Goodell. Let me say, I, I actually didn't mind it so much this past weekend watching the Orioles pitchers rack up, what was it, seven strikeouts uh, uh, over the weekend. Lots of complaints that they weren't, uh, you know, attacking the plate, but I, I thought they did pretty well. <laughs> let me uh, let, let me take that into uh, into who's down. And my who's down is Charlie Ergen, who is the head of Dish Network and Sling TV. And Charlie, I've, I've covered Charlie for decades. He's, he, he is a reputation of being a really tough negotiator and, and he takes programmers to the brink and he's the one that decides whether or not uh, channels are going to be on Dish Network or, or not. Well, over the weekend, he dropped ESPN and it was a, uh, it was a game of brinksmanship. I have never seen Charlie Ergen turn tail so fast before two full days were up. He had turned around ESPN and all of the Disney channels were back on uh, 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 Dish Network. They were back on Sling. One of the main reasons they went one day without college football. They had uh, Monday night football coming up. They have baseball playoffs coming up after this, then more college football, then more NFL. And you can say what you want about the declining subscriber basis uh, and the uh, and cord cutting, but it's still a big business for ESPN and for any of these networks that own live sports rights. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into this a little bit later, but that's one of the things I've kind of pointed to when we talk about ESPN going direct to consumer and staying on cable is that the cable and satellite providers, they they need ESPN to stay in business. I mean, you could say a lot of people are cutting the cord uh, because they don't want to pay for those things. Yeah, that's true. But a lot of people still have cable uh, because they want sports. And that's what's kind of almost holding it all together. So ESPN gets kind of a bad rap, but it's also you know a large part of what's kind of keeping the cable bundle alive. Uh, people focus on the cuts, but it's also kind of the glue of the whole thing. So we're going to get deeper into that and something I wrote about the NBA and their new app uh, when we get into the topics. But let me do my who's down. It's ESPN, and the wild card weekend is taking place this weekend because of the lockout. Now, let me be clear. I really am kind of jacked up for uh, wild card weekend and these extended playoffs. I mean, for the for the sport, the purity of the sport, it's not great, right? You play 162, and then a team with a much uh, worse record can beat a team two out of three games, and 162 games, which is more of a you know, telltale measurement of how good a team is, that's erased very quickly in a kind of a not flip of a coin series, but it's a two out of three, but I still, the excitement level, the decisive games that are going to come at us really quick is tremendous for ESPN. And I also think when baseball is always compared to other sports or really quite honestly, hockey as well. And the NBA, when they're compared, their ratings are compared to the NFL, especially the playoffs is that, you know, those games are always game sevens in the in the uh nfl playoffs uh because it's always win or go home and so i think baseball is going to take advantage of that but this weekend it's not ideal because of the lockout it's going up against college football it's going up against the nfl it would have been earlier in the week if the season had started on time and so it's espn it's mlb they're my who's down because not ideal still i'm psyched up for the playoffs but not ideal that you're going up against the NFL and you got to figure out the college football scheduling. And I'm not saying it's going to get lost, but I'm sure we're going to see 
which I'm it's like tedious is like, look at the college football ratings, look at the NFL ratings, compare them to the baseball playoffs, but different, different animals in terms of national TV. Speaking about our year anniversary uh, pod, Andrew, I'm very glad over the past year, we haven't spent that much time talking about television ratings, Amazon excluded, yep. because ratings go up, ratings go down. I think we can look at what happened with Dish Network and ESPN to say the overall ratings and whether or not they're up or down 5% per year, that doesn't matter as much as the importance of live sports to these distributors, which takes us in to our first topic. John, when we look at this Dish Network uh, and ESPN, and then you know, YouTube doesn't have a lot of these regional sports networks like in New York, MSG Network, yes, uh, they're not on. When we look at this and what we just learned from the sling situation, when we kitchen table it, which I always like doing on the pod, what uh, what do you see? Like, what does this tell us for the for the viewer, for the person listening right now? What does it tell us for what's where we're going here? You know, Andrew, we had Michael Nathanson on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about everybody knows cord cutting is happening. Everybody knows that cable is losing subscribers. Nobody that I trust believes that that is going to zero. It's going to level out at, at, at some point. And what this tells me is that Dish Network, which has no RSNs, it doesn't have a ton of sports programming. It, I would assume that most of its subscribers are not hardcore sports fans because they don't, they don't have the, the regional sports networks there. They couldn't go more than two days without college football, and they had to sign this before they, they missed an NFL game that was going to be exclusively on, on, on ESPN. It just tells me that even though th there are lots of troubles with it, it's losing subscribers. The cable bundle is not quite healthy, but what's, what's one below healthy? It, it, you know, it, it, it's going to be around for yep. a long time. For preserve. Yeah, exactly. So it's losing subscribers again, but it's not going to zero. It's, and, and, and that's what that's telling me. Because when I look at it, it almost seemed like Charlie Ergen, who runs Dish Network, it almost seemed like he was testing. Like, let's see if I lose subscribers. I mean, that's what Comcast did with the Yes Network back in the day, remember? And mm -hmm. they realized we don't need to carry a Yes Network in New Jersey or in, in, uh, in Connecticut. And they went a full season without uh, carrying Yankees games. So these types of tests, sometimes it doesn't work for sports. This time, boy, they turned in, in less than 48 hours and said, we need to get those uh, those back up. Yeah, I do think it, it's where it's located, you know, in terms of some of these regional sports networks, especially. Uh, I think if you get into the core audience, uh, you're going to have major problems if you're a cable uh, place like with Yes. Uh, if you did that in the, you know, more the, the, the just the tri-state area of, of New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey, but uh, there's outer regions of those that uh, maybe not as uh, big a Yankee fan, for example, with yes, as opposed to the people who are closer to the city uh, and their affiliation to the Yankees. Let me ask you, though, Andrew, like because you've been covering this as well. How much do you think Disney or National Geographic or some of these uh, more entertainment focused channels had to do with Dish Network uh, turning tail on this? I mean, I, th I think if you look at the suite of uh, networks that Disney has, they cover a lot of uh, realms. And so I, I think they definitely, uh, you know, there are people who are missing certain channels who uh, were outspoken. I, I agree with you. I think sports is the core of this. That's why, you know, ESPN gets $10 per subscriber. And I just think that 
you know, most a lot of people have cable because of sports. Now, you wouldn't really have Dish Network because you don't have RSNs. But if you're a college football fan uh, and you have ESPN, uh, you really don't need, you know, I guess you 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 want you want to have Fox Sports, you know, maybe Fox Sports One. But you got Fox. You have like the um, the networks between CBS, ABC, and Fox. There's plenty of college football on, uh, and you add ESPN's channels, uh, and I think. So if you're like, so you can kind of see where that kind of hits the college football fan who said, you know what, I'd rather spend a little less with Dish. I don't need an RSN. I, you know, I don't have a local baseball or hockey or NBA team that I watch my RSN. And so, you know, you have Dish Network and you get all your college football. You don't really need, at least not yet. I mean, it's coming where there's going to be more streaming. Uh, but uh, at the moment, if you have ESPN and the broadcast networks, you basically have it all. Yeah, my theory is that if you're into entertainment programming, You've already cut the cord. I, I I like sports. My wife would have cut the cord years ago because because they've all gone to Netflix. They've all gone to Disney Plus to, to watch it there. But you had a really interesting story, I thought, in in your uh, New York Post Sports Plus. Okay, we got we got to condense these names, Andrew. Uh, but it, it's along the same lines where you took a look at the NBA app that was just uh, re- released, a, a brand new app that came out last week. Yeah, so in my newsletter on Mondays uh, for Post Plus uh, subscriber based, uh, you can, uh, you know, I go sometimes into deeper into these issues. And uh, so the NBA last week, we, ca- we talked about it a little bit. They reimagined their app. And I think there's two things that stick out. Number one, now they have one app for the entire world. So when you talk about distribution and the way distribution's changing, which is kind of what is at the core of when we talk about cable television, that digitally, because of the internet, you can distribute without, you don't need another company, right? We can distribute our podcast, for example, as well as ESPN can distribute theirs or any of these podcast companies can distribute theirs. Obviously, you can have bigger forums that you're selling from that can help you if you're Spotify or somebody. Of course, that that's helpful, but we can reach the same amount of people in theory. Um, and so when you look at the NBA, when you look at distribution, they have created an app now where they'll be able to distribute at with one uh, stop shopping to anywhere in the world. So what does that mean going forward? Well, the NBA national rights are up in a couple of years. I fully believe there will be at least one other um, package when they do their next deal uh, where you'll have an ESPN attorney, or probably those two, but maybe somebody else who's similar to them comes in and tries to unseat them uh, for, for the NBA. Uh, and then there'll be a third package, at least maybe two more, um, but with Amazon or Apple, probably the front runners for that package. Um, and so uh, that is going to be one thing. Then combining with the idea that Sinclair, we talk about all the time, your buddy at the head of Sinclair, Mr. Who's down himself, Chris Ripley, uh, it, you know, will he be able to stave off bankruptcy? And if they do now, the NBA made a deal with uh, Sinclair that allowed them to stream their 16 NBA teams games. And you say, well, why would the NBA do that when they run the bankruptcy? I remember when that story first came out and I was like, that's kind of odd. Well, I don't know the exact intricacies of the deal, but I do know that the way it's structured, that if they go into bankruptcy, the NBA, it's very, can be very fortuitous for the NBA because they'll be able to take over those rights and they'll be able to sell in one spot. And so you say, well, what does the future look like? And I'm not saying this is happening next year. I'm not saying it's happening in five years. I'm not saying it's happening in 10 years. I do think at some point it would be centralized that the NBA is potentially producing the local rights 
you know, their local games uh, and also distributing. That doesn't mean that RSNs will go away necessarily. There's a way they could work uh, hand in hand, but I do think that's where the future is going to go. And um, it's kind of what you see uh, with MLS and their model with uh, Apple. I do think that's potentially where these are going. Um, and not necessarily with Apple or Amazon. It could be with ESPN+. Plus. Could be with Paramount Plus, Peacock, all these others could be the entities that they end up working with. But I do think you see with this new app where the NBA is going. And at the least, let's say it doesn't happen, it gives them very nice leverage that they can use, in-house leverage in their negotiations. Just a couple of things. One is that Sinclair NBA deal. It's not just if uh, uh, Diamond Sports goes into bankruptcy. The, the NBA, this is a great deal for the NBA. They have certain benchmarks for the uh, for the direct to consumer product that uh, that uh, Diamond Sports has to hit, and if they don't hit that, then then all of a sudden the the the, the, uh, the belief is that the NBA will be able to uh, take back a lot of those. So that's uh, that's one really interesting part. Uh, number two, ESPN and Turner. I think that you and I are in total agreement. It's really important to them in order to to keep NBA rights. I would be really surprised. Right now in 2022, we're three years down the, down the road, but I'd be really surprised if they didn't keep it. And I, I absolutely see Amazon coming in and getting a package of games that's, uh, that's uh, even similar. I mean, the, the way that I envision this is it's, it's similar to like what they're doing with the uh, Premier League in, in England, where they have uh, all the Boxing Day games are on, mm -hmm. on Amazon. I can see the Christmas Day games go, going to Amazon. I could see the MLK Day uh, games going to Amazon. I, I could, there are different sort of days through the NBA season that I could see that being like, okay, let's strip that out and let's, uh, let's give it to, to Amazon. And as a final point, I think one of the things the networks are going to be pitching the NBA on is that you don't need to go to these digital guys because we already have direct to consumer. It's called ESPN plus Hulu Disney plus, or it's called Bleacher Report. You want to get younger, go to Bleacher Report. Uh, and, and so it, it'll be interesting to me to see if, if that uh, pitch resonates with the, with the NBA. Yeah. HBO max too with Turner. And uh, I, I do think that there's a possibility that ESPN's deal kind of like what you saw with baseball where there might be less regular season. You know, that's the NBA's problem, right? Is that two things. Number one, the regular season has just been, you know, beaten down because of players resting and the perception of these games not being that important and feeling a little bit more like exhibitions as you get to the playoffs, a long season, but it doesn't really mean a lot, right? That's why we talk about like the NFL ratings. Every week means a lot, right? There's only 17 games. So that's why those ratings are going to be higher and it makes it more uh, prestigious. And I think that's a problem uh, because if you don't have the stars playing, that's what people want to watch. And the regular season is not as uh, good uh, as it maybe once was. And then secondly, because of social media, you, you don't miss things, right? If LeBron makes a great play, it's on Instagram and Twitter two seconds later with 50 different angles, you know, people put music to it. It's almost even more entertaining in some regards. And so younger people, especially, and older people too, you know, watch games like that. I've said this a number of times on the podcast over the last year. When we were kids, Michael Jordan was playing at on NBC at one o'clock. If you wanted to see that, those, you know, him do something spectacular, you had to be engaged from one to three 30. And then if you missed it, maybe it's on your local news. You can catch a highlight or sports center, or I'll drop one on you sports tonight. What that was called on CNN, uh, Fred Hickman <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and uh, 
Let's give the George Michael sports machine a little shout out yeah, here. Nick too. Charles, I was trying to look for. Uh, yeah, so you had so you had a couple of ways, but you, but that again, you had to plan your evening then. Now, so what is the NBA trying to do? They're trying to keep that fan uh, on their app and offer the game coverage that way, kind of like a social experience, but through the NBA app. But does that work? I don't know. I think it's hard to in game unless you just like don't allow Twitter and Instagram, et cetera, to have. Uh, highlights it's hard to beat those services i don't know i don't care who you are uh just because they're just omnipresent and kids are just on those things non-stop and so to get them to go to the nba app and pay you a subscription i'm not sure that works but you got to try and it does make sense of what they're trying to do in terms of making it uh making the what we think of viewing as a different experience than maybe what we grew up thinking of watching a game because uh, younger people are sec. They have two screens on, uh, you know, when a game's on, and they're just watching it differently than 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 the way it once was watched uh, before. You had so many choices. Let's stick with uh, with the NBA, Andrew. Uh, the recently the uh, a surprise to me anyway is Rachel Nichols. Ten months after uh, she left ESPN, she's resurfaced as part of Showtime Basketball. She gave an interview. Uh, to Showtime Basketball, sort of describing uh, how and why uh, she she ended up uh, leaving ESPN. What did you make of all that? So number one, yeah, well, I do a list to my editor, Mark Hale, every week on Mondays where I tell him the stories I'm looking at. The last couple of weeks, I've had Rachel's name on there. So I, I never really got to it in terms of looking into it. So I kind of felt like NBA season's coming up. And so something could be going on. Um, I didn't know she was going to Showtime. But uh Look, for she needs to get back in. This is probably a good opportunity as it's high profile, but it's not totally high profile. So it's like she'll be able to get back in and then maybe rebuild her career. Um, you know, I think the punishment was pretty harsh when you look at how everything went down uh, with ESPN. She hadn't made a lot of friends. I would recommend, um, we've already put in the request to come on this podcast or do another show, whatever, but I don't know if doing... You're, if she only does one interview to do it with the place that just hired you, that comes across more like PR. I think there were questions to ask that, you know, uh, it was a fine interview, but that, you know, could have been, uh, you go a little bit deeper. And if you want to move past it, uh, I think it's better just to answer the questions in a more um, objective forum, but uh, that's up to her. But uh, yeah, so I think for her though, to get back into uh, doing, uh, you know, back into the NBA, I, I do think, she, uh, I think Adam Silver is a big fan, so that can't hurt her long term. Uh, and so there, there could be opportunities. Um, you know, that that was one of the you know craziest, I think, uh, situations in probably the history of ESPN. And you know, they've had a lot of uh, unusual and startling uh, situations. That one was just because it was such a, it was a year in the making, and we kind of knew about it, and then you know, and how everything went down with the New York Times story uh, is very interesting. Uh, but now she's getting another opportunity. Yeah, I'm going to be interested in seeing uh, her relationships with uh, with players. I think one of the things that she did really well on The Jump, which was, of, of course, her show on ESPN, was she had good relationships and she got good guests and, and people would sit down with her and talk. Uh, uh, um, you mentioned Adam Silver as being somebody that that supports her. Uh, are, do those relationships remain the same? Are, are, are they stronger? Are they weaker? I think that's, uh, that, that's one area to look, but I can't see this as being sort of 
the ending point of her career. I think there has to be some sort of other step being, we were just talking about the NBA rights in 2025. Would it, would it be at an Amazon? Would Turner come in and, 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 and have something there? Or would something with one of the rights holders? Uh, I, I, this is a story that's, that's not over yet. A hundred percent. So, uh, you know, and you look back at that, you know, there was Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols, and it was all about the NBA finals. And now, uh, you know, we've, this has been for a while now, but neither of them are there. So that situation was not handled well, uh, but Rachel Nichols now trying to make a comeback and uh, you know, we'll see where, where she lands going forward. If that grows or, you know, if this is something that, uh, you know, just is, you know, she works for Showtime for, for a long time. All right, John, let's bring in our big get. Jeff Passan is ESPN's top MLB insider. The baseball playoffs are just getting underway. ESPN has their new first round series this weekend. And Jeff, we uh, appreciate you finding the time to talk with us. It's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. All right, John, let, let's start. We have a game plan always into these uh, interviews, Jeff. Let's start with the hard one. Um, before you went to TV and ESPN, you're a Yahoo and I, I covered baseball as well. When you would come to the ballpark, you always wore a suit. Always. You weren't going to be on the TV. What the heck was that about? I'm a complete tryhard. That's 100% what it is. Total <laughs> eyewash. Um, it, it actually goes back to my first year covering baseball. It was in 2004. And I had just gotten a job at the Kansas City Star. I had covered maybe five baseball games in my life is in intern at the Washington post. And uh, I got hired as a national baseball writer a job that I had absolutely no business getting. And I go into the clubhouse. It's a couple weeks into the season. And the first day I'm there, a player tosses a towel at me. And he thought I was a clubby. And so at that point, I was like, I, I am probably not going to age overnight. So I probably should upgrade my wardrobe because if I'm walking around in like a shirt and tie at that point, I don't think I'm going to be getting laundry tossed at me. <laughs> All right. Here's the other thing about you, Jeff. During the World Series, you and I don't know if you still do this, but you used to buy the whole press box food. Now, I think you did this in Kansas yes. City and you did this now. What's that about? Wait, uh, on a reporter's salary? Like, or did you expense it? Like, what happened here? Or no, just, no. What? Or Never. just a nice guy? Like, what? How should we take that? I try, I try to be a nice person. Yeah, I mean the the way to people's nice. heart, the way to people's hearts is through their stomachs. Um, it's funny that you bring that up because uh, we're here in Texas right now, and back in the 2020 COVID season. I spent essentially the entire month of October in Arlington because you remember they were doing the bubble playoffs that oh, year yeah. and there were games here from beginning to end. And uh, there's a fantastic barbecue place called uh, Hurtado Barbecue in Arlington. And I wanted to continue the tradition. And so I went and I, I mean, you know, sports writers appetites are uh, insatiable is uh, probably the best way to put it. <laughs> I'm not and, sure if it's appetites, Jeff, or it's free food. It's, it's, it's fair, fair point. Fair point. Um, I think I went and got $500 worth of barbecue to bring to the press box. And I walk in with it. And John Blake, the longtime media relations director here with the Rangers, looks at me and says, what are you doing? And I, I can be an idiot sometimes. And the idea 
in early COVID of bringing communal food somewhere, it was yeah. just not going to fly at all. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the barbecue didn't go in the trash exactly. They, uh, they, they were nice enough to put it in a refrigerator and uh, we were able to eat it outside the, you know, a few uh, sports writers ate it outside the park the next day. But uh, it's, I don't know, it's something, something I like to do. Our, our jobs, uh, especially in October, can get to be a real grind. And if you show up somewhere and there's barbecue, what sort of Kansas City native would I be if I didn't feed people barbecue when I could? Yeah, it, it was very nice. It's very. I think um, I, I never partook took in it, but um, it was very nice. Why not? Are you too nah, good for know. it? I didn't feel right. Nah, I was at ESPN at that point. You're Yahoo. You're rivals. I didn't trust you. No, nah, I'm kidding. I might. <laughs> I might wow. <laughs> wow, clicker. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I I might have eaten it. I don't remember. All right, John. John's up. I yeah, those I are the hard ones. Yeah, I would. I would have been all later. over that. I would have. I, I'd still have the barbecue stains on my shirt for goodness sakes. <laughs> Look, I, I don't want to go over uh, like you know your whole LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I, we we've talked a little bit about your career, but what was your uh, first break, and how did you make that happen? How did you get into this business? Uh, I was born into it. My father worked at the Plain Dealer in Cleveland for 42 years. So I have had ink flowing through my veins for my entire life. I remember spending moments of my childhood in, you know, smoky newsrooms. And my dad hosted radio, sports talk radio on the weekends in Cleveland. So I would go into the studio with him and uh, once I topped out at five nine, I knew uh, my my career was uh, not going to be in playing sports, and uh, I wanted to be around it. I, you know, it's interesting. I think if I were growing up now, that I probably would have gone into like the analytic side of things and and more management than journalism. Not because uh, I I have a different opinion of the industry. I love this industry. I think it's the best. I have the greatest job in the world, but. Uh, I was always more of a math person than a writer, and there are just so many opportunities now for people who have math brains to succeed in sports. But back then, it was like the kid who sits on the floor on Sunday reading, you know, uh, the the entire page of agate of baseball statistics. Uh, that doesn't really exist anymore. That was me, though. And so, if the avenue into the sports world was going to be through journalism, then uh, I, I, I'm lucky that that conduit was there for me. All right, Jeff, from, from Yahoo to ESPN, how has what you do changed how, uh, in terms of how you approach it? It is more demanding. And that's not to say that at Yahoo, I didn't feel like I was on all the time, but it, with ESPN, it's a different kind of on um, it's writing, it's radio, it's TV, it's podcasting, it's documentaries. There are just so many different avenues that you can take and so many itches that you can scratch um, that the, the world, the world at ESPN can be your oyster. And I've been lucky enough to do all of those aforementioned things. And, you know, I still get to my, the thing I love doing more than anything are just the deep dive feature stories. And I don't do that as much as I used to, but I still get to do that. Um, the, the news cycle is, I think, more unrelenting when you work at ESPN. Uh, there's just an expectation. We're ESPN. We should 
break all the news. And it's unrealistic, but that's still what the expectation is. Maybe not uh, as much from people above me uh, as much as it is self-inflicted. Uh, I see Adrian Wojnarowski. I see Adam Schefter. I see Pete Thamel. I see uh, these guys who are just incredible at their jobs and have this motor that doesn't stop. And if they're working that way, what's preventing me from doing the same thing? It's, you know, I, I've been lucky that everywhere I've been, I've been surrounded by extraordinarily talented people. The, you know, with the Fresno Bee, which is my first job out of college, uh, the columnist there was John Branch, who's won a Pulitzer Prize. And there were a number of other really talented reporters um, at the Kansas City Star. I I will put the staff at the Kansas City Star, the two years I spent there, up against just about any sports newspaper staff that you've that that's ever been assembled. I mean, we were really that good. Give us the we, roster. Give, give, give us a little bit of the roster there. Columnists were Joe Posnanski and Jason Whitlock. Uh, Wright Thompson was the takeout writer. Liz Merrill uh, covered the NFL uh, with Adam Teicher. Blair Kirkhoff uh, was on colleges. Uh, Bob Dutton covering uh, the Royals, Sam Mellinger and Kevin Kaduck were on high schools. Candace Buckner, who's a Washington Post columnist now, was on high schools. Uh, I'm, you know, Brad Doolittle, who writes for ESPN now, was on the desk. Like, I mean, we just had people everywhere who were not just good, but driven. And, and that was Mike Fannin's the editor in chief of the star now. And he had an amazing eye for talent, and he just absolutely drove you into the ground. Like he, he had he had an archetype for for what he hired, and it was young and single, and it was because he knew that if he found the right types of motivated people when they were twenty three, I got hired at twenty three, you know, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five. Uh, what were we going to do but work? And he worked us, and and he made us so much better. Um, and at Yahoo, uh, Woj was there, uh, Dan Wetzel, uh, just a phenomenal general columnist. Um, you know, every sport you can go through Charles Robinson an amazing investigative reporter, Tim Brown on baseball as well. Kevin Ioli on combat sports. Uh, I mean, we, we just, you know, Greg Wachinski, who's at ESPN now was on hockey. It, Everywhere you look, uh, I've been fortunate to be surrounded by really good people, and they don't even have to push you. It's just their presence in their work that tells you you'd better be good or you're going to look like the foof of the group, and you never want to be the foof. When you came to ESPN, for years, Buster only had been the number one insider um, and, you know, competed with the John Heyman's, the Joel Sherman's, the Ken Rosenthal's. And you go in there. I mean, that's kind of a weird uh, dynamic I could foresee. Um, how has that worked out in terms of, you know, dealing with ESPN and, and everything that comes along with, you know, being a part of that team? Yeah, I, I think it had a chance to be awkward and difficult. And it, you don't want to come in there. And I don't. I, I'm a I'm a person who likes peace. I, I, I don't thrive on conflict. I know that there, uh, you know, there are places where uh, reporters are either pitted against each other or um, they're, they're 
there, there's just the natural competition that emerges. I never felt that with Buster. And uh, I, you know, I've long looked up to him, respected the work that he does. He's been doing this for a long time at a really high level. And uh, I, I think there was, uh, there was definitely the chance for a difficult transition, but uh, you know, I I get along really well with Buster. I respect him. I enjoy going on his podcast. I see us as complimentary. Like one one thing that is important to me is team. Um, I, I you know, over time when you cover a sport for twenty something years, you can really fall prey to writing the same stories or feeling like you're you know, not learning. And one thing that I've taken interest in over time is just management, like the management of people and of team and getting everyone on the same page and rowing the oars at the same time. How do we do that? How do you, how do you not turn this into a conflict with fellow reporters, but how do you help them grow? And maybe it's uh, at a you know, at a higher level at ESPN, maybe ultimately they go somewhere else and carve their own paths. I, I want to see people succeed. And so if I'm there with Buster and we're at odds, uh, what sort of example is that going to set for other people? And, and what sort of wasted time is that and wasted energy when uh, if I'm sitting there stressing out about how I'm getting along with my colleagues, uh, that's time that I could be using to make a phone call. That's time that I could be using to write a story. And I, I just, uh, you know, I, I, there's a finite number of hours in the day, and I don't want to spend any of them on bullshit. Kev, er, earlier this this year, you uh, MLB got, the executives at MLB, they got a little irritated with you as you were writing about the, uh, the, <laughs> the lockout, uh, as you know. I mean, you're an ink-stained ink wretch. I mean, you, you, your, your newspaper is going through your veins, and you went to Yahoo!, you're now writing for a uh, an organization that has a big business relationship with MLB. Mm-hmm. How did that play into things? I mean, it, I, I don't I don't suspect anybody came up and said you cannot write about X. But do you have something in the back of your mind? Does that ever come into play? I don't think about it until I'm told about it, and I was never told anything in this situation like you can't write this because we have a a television deal and we're rights holders. And I I really appreciated that because the piece that angered MLB was critical. It was critical of the commissioner's office. It was critical of the owners. It was critical of the institution of Major League Baseball. But the thing that underpinned the entire thing was facts. Nothing I wrote in that story was inaccurate. Nobody at MLB came to me and said, this is not true. This is not right. They they didn't like the implication of it, which was that not only was the lockout something that was perpetuated by the league, but it was something that had been building for years and burbling under the surface. And that story, I just tried to connect the dots and tie them all together. And, you know, as, as much as I do enjoy those, those big fancy profiles that uh, I grew up wanting to write that that takeout role that really kind of doesn't exist anymore in the written medium. Uh, one thing I've I've gravitated toward is when you're when you're a reporter with institutional knowledge on what you cover, it's easier to take these disparate threads and tie them together to try and tell the greater story. 
and that's what I that that's what I endeavor to do as much as anything these days. My my job uh, is you know as, as much as I'm seen, I think, is breaking transactional news. No, I I want to write the stories that tell what's going on in the sport right now. What are the important things that are being discussed at high levels? What are the impactful things in the game? And how can I use my source base to help tell those stories? And as I was reporting on labor, uh, these common themes just kept cropping up and it would have been, I would have been derelict in my duty to ignore them. And I give a lot of credit to my editor, Rachel Ulrich, uh, who's absolutely brilliant at what she does. She, she is a rare editor who truly gets story and pushes me on it. And she will tell me, uh, this is not good. Um, this is not good enough. We're getting there. We're finally here. Um, I'm, uh, I've gotten better at this, but I'm kind of a dick with my copy. Like, uh, if, if I write something, it's for a purpose, it's for a reason. And one thing with her, she will, you know, she will bloody up a story unlike I've had anyone do since my father who actually used to edit me in red pen. So when I say it looked like a murder scene, like when I was, a t <laughs> when, I, when I was, a, when I was a teenager writing, uh, he would, he would go through it with a red pen and I still, I, I've never used a red pen because I'm haunted by it, but I'll, I'll get a, I'll get a Google doc back from Rachel and she'll have shifted things around and rewritten sentences. And I don't mind because she's awesome and uh, there is nothing better for a writer than a great editor. Jeff, you're a good son. I can't get my kids to allow me to edit their, their stuff at all <laughs> anymore. Well, uh, obviously, obviously they're writing clean, right? They say they, they accuse me of writing two choppy sentences. I'm like, I'm like, of course I am. Hey, uh, so Woj is an info guy. Schefter is an info guy. It sounds like you wouldn't describe yourself as as an info guy. You're 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 more of a, a reporter. I I don't I don't look at Woj and Schefter as info guys. I look at them as knowledge guys. Um, you know what the what they disperse in nuggets is information, but what they have in spades is knowledge of the sport that they're covering. They're not just getting fed scoops. You know, people aren't just saying, oh, I, I need to give this to Woj, right? No, they're building relationships. Uh, they have information that is important to people in the industry. And, uh, you know, they, they, they have put themselves in that position by seeking knowledge about the game that they're covering. Um, they're, the scoop stuff, they're better at that than I am. I, I mean, I'd be silly to suggest otherwise. And uh, I, I think the, their voraciousness is, is something that I wish I had. I, I just, I can't work at the speed that they do. So I try and make up for it in other ways. And whether that's the, the writing, the analysis, you know, you need to bring value. And if I'm not going to be on their level at scoops, then I better be doing something else or I'll just look like a lesser version of them, which I am, but uh, hopefully not as much as I used to be. Now, for you, what's the hardest time of the? I want to follow just a quick one. What's the hardest time of the baseball season in terms of reporting? 
for you? Is it trade deadline, off season? What What do you say? You know what? That one is heads down, and this is really where I worry about you know the Rosenthal's and Sherman's and Heyman's, et cetera. I was on the treadmill uh, at Orange Theory a few days ago, and the woman next to me looks over and goes, "So, what are you going to be doing this off season?" And I look back. To, uh, this was probably pretty rude of me, but I looked back at her and I went, "There is no off season." And it's, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I said goodbye to my wife and kids yesterday. I have no idea when I'm going to be going home next. Um, whenever it is, it will probably be for one day and then I'll be back out at another playoff series and then I'll get home for probably one more day and then the world series. Um, and then after the world series, I believe there's two days between then and the GM meetings and free agency kicks off. And so I would say the October to February 1st stretch, like the time when no baseball is being played is my busy season. And, and it's because there are 150 free agents. There are a million iterations of trades. And uh, the expectation is that I need to know all of them. And uh, I mean, clearly that's silly. You know, I, at any given time, do I know 10% of what's going on? What's actually going on? The conversations that are actually being had, the the level, I'd say 10% is probably about right, which is crazy to think. It's not very much. Um, as, as transactions get closer, I would like to think that the rate goes up significantly from that. But uh, it is it is a job where you cannot, you don't have a minute to take off. Quite, quite literally, I, you know, there is, there are Christmas day signings. Um, you know, I, I remember my first day at ESPN was January 1st, 2019. And I believe it was Yusei Kikuchi who was signing with the Seattle Mariners. And I got a tip earlier in the day and Tim Brown and I double byline that story. I was so, I was so proud of that because Tim, Andrew, you know, Tim, he's just the best guy in the world and such a good teammate. And I learned so much from him just about like how to be a good person and how to treat people well and how to do this job with, uh, uh, you know, with integrity and with ethics. And so double bylining that story with Tim for Yahoo. And then literally at midnight when my contract started writing it for ESPN.com. <laughs> like, that, I mean, that, that right there just showed um, if you got to write something on new year's Eve, then that's what the job is. And somehow 20 years in, uh, I still love it. I, I really do. I, I have, I have never had a day where I've said I feel burned out. And but are you one of those people who doesn't sleep? Yes, that's correct. It's it's important to me when I'm home to spend time with my kids and uh I so I'm up pretty much every morning at 6:45, 7 to help get them ready for school and I usually go to bed at like 3. So it's not three great. 3 hours of sleep. Uh, I have a four usually, yeah, four or five. Throwing in a little orange theory in the middle of the day, or when are we doing that? Either ten or noon. Yeah, it's uh. Right, so, it's, see, if I were like 
you know, Rosenthal or Heyman or Joel, like I would be like, all right, tender noon, Pathens out. That's when I was trying to break so many stories. No, 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 no. I was competing no. with you. I, I know you're looking at your phone, but I'd want to ruin your workout. I was just going to say that that's the problem. I'm the guy who's working out, but checking his phone constantly. It's I, I'm kind of I'm kind of embarrassed by it because nobody I mean, nobody else brings their phone in. Nobody. It's like a it's like a sacrosanct area. That's a reporter. You know? That's the that's the that's the life of a reporter. I get, yeah, but that's just, that's such a self important way to look at things. You think the other twenty people in there don't have jobs that are important to them, their no, bosses, but the whoever. Is, the difference is though, Jeff. If you if such an if executive A texts you or and agent A texts phone. you, you yeah. don't do it right away. You yeah. know, like Heyman He's or gone. Joel or somebody or yeah. Ken is gonna going to get that. So you really, so it's not that your job is more important. It's just the timeliness of the information doesn't have time for you to do your little orange theory workout sometimes. I, I, do, want to, I do want to say that I, I saw Jeff over the summer in Los Angeles at a, a, a at a party at the all-star game. And I was remarking that you were not one of those guys on the phone uh, all, all the time. So somehow you, you, you kept that hidden hidden from me as you were telling me how good my Orioles are going to be. So I, I, I'll never forget that. Hey, conversation. Hey, was I wrong? You weren't wrong. You're I, I, I've been not. boring Marchand about that ever since. I know. People I, don't, yeah, Marchand is finally talking. figuring out who Adley Rushman is. So I'm, I'm very happy. <laughs> I, don't think I, 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 I will say this Woj. Um, I've known Woj for a long time and I think he is the absolute best at what we do. And Woj has this fantasy where one day i don't know when it's going to be um but when he's done he's going to take his phone and throw it in the ocean and i you know what the the ocean throw of the phone is is a dream that i have adopted <laughs> and will steal at some point because i i'm i'm a slave to it that's the reality um i i look at my uh my screen time numbers every week. And I, I will seriously, I will ask myself, what are you doing? Like, what is it? No, seriously, is this, is this worth it? What are you doing with your life? And the answer continues to be yes, but there is certainly cognitive dissonance about it because it is an all consuming job because my kids are going to be out of the house in three and seven years. And, you know, I'm not present too often. Uh, you know, I, I will I will hear them ask a question and I can't tell you the number of times where I've answered, hold on a second, uh, let me just finish this text. Like that is a, that, that might be the most oft said thing in my house. Hold on, let me finish this text. And is that how I want my kids remembering me as the hold on, let me finish this text guy? So. Uh, that's why I need to be up at seven o'clock every morning with them toasting bagels and packing lunches and driving them to school because that is my that is my toe being dipped into the humanity that I feel like I'm missing too often. All right. Now, my last thing is an important one. Uh, the Elmo impersonation. Uh, <laughs> where, where did that come from? What's the deal with that? It started in a parking lot at a Chiefs game. It was my older son, and uh, we have twin boys who live across the street from us, and I had taken him to a Chiefs game, 
and we were stuck in traffic and they were bored. And I always knew I could do like a, a weird Elmo voice. And uh, I just started doing inappropriate Elmo. <laughs> <laughs> and and it had them it had them rolling. So I'm like, all right, we may we may have something here. And and the only reason, the only reason that it, like people will know about it now is because I can't do a Sean Connery impersonation. I was on Dan Lebitard's show that day. And, uh, you know, it was it was intimidating for me because it was pretty early on in my time there. Um, you know, Manny Machado had just signed. So I think that was February of 2019. And I don't think I'd been on Levitard before. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a good guest. And the first thing he does is he's like, Jeff, do you do a Sean Connery impersonation? And I did one and it sucked. It was just really, really bad. And uh, I, I wanted to rescue myself somehow. And uh, for some reason, I thought it was a good idea to say, you know, I do a pretty good Elmo impersonation. And it just, uh, it worked. Uh, and and I, I do remember I was, I was in my office and I was pacing, like it, I was pacing in a circle as, as all of this is going on thinking to myself, I have no idea if this is absolutely bombing. If you go back and listen to it, I'll be like, you know, this is terrible. And Dan's like, no, no, keep going. And afterward, I hang up and my wife is there. And I said to her, uh, I may just have ruined my career. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it expanded your career. Listen, this is our one year anniversary and John and I have gone back and forth in terms of how we should celebrate it. And John was more of a little bit more of a celebration. So I am going to ask you to do us a favor, especially for John. Can you say happy one year anniversary uh, to the Marshall Orient sports media podcast in the Elmo voice, just for John. Happy anniversary to the Marshall and Orient sports podcast. Perfect. John, did that work? That you know that that was great. Let's clip it. <laughs> Our socials are going to go nuts. That's <laughs> inappropriate for a one-year-old. Here's here's the thing. I what has come of that is I feel like I can be really useful for people because and and I I offer this up to friends. I offer this up to sources. I have been taken up quite often on it. If you have a child who's two or three years old and is being really difficult and Elmo calls to tell you to stop being that way, that kid tends to listen. And so mm -hmm. I can't tell you the number of times that I have gone and tried to help struggling parents out and it's worked because what child is going to say no to Elmo? John, now we know how he breaks stories. I know. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> yeah. That totally <laughs> ingratiates him. And <laughs> he does an Elmo impersonation. Then it's like, all right, yep. We signed Machado. Uh, that's right, Jeff. All right, I'll call you back at eight o'clock. You got to put my kid down. Right, it works for you. John, that's going to do it for me. What do you think? You got hey, else? Jeff, thank you so much for uh, for, for joining the, the, the pod on our one-year anniversary. So you're, you're a, a big get on, on, uh, on, on the pod. History. I don't know about that, but uh, happy anniversary, gentlemen. Uh, and here's to many, many more years of great podcasting. John Jeff Basson, really good. 
I was really happy you got your birthday wishes from Elmo. Elmo giving a, giving the anniversary wishes. Absolutely. That's a, that made my year. There you go. Um, we broke down how passing breaks stories. Elmo is the key to, so they, so if you're a young person listening to the Marshall Orange sports media podcast. And you're saying, well, you know, how do I become one of these insiders? Well, all right, we'll just start doing Sesame street impersonations and, <laughs> and you'll be a big star. Forget, yeah, forget the Connery invitations. You got to go right to that. Exactly. And also no sleeping. I don't know how he does that. I, I just, I'm a, I need some sleep. That's why baseball made me a little miserable because you do not sleep and it is endless. Um, and people do always say to you, uh, yeah, off season, what do you do? It's like, um, well, they're going to make 8 million trades and free agency is going to happen. And especially like, look, those guys jobs are much harder when you cover the whole league. I mean, one team, even when, when it was the Yankees, um, it's difficult, but you still kind of can have your eyes on the prize. And depending on where you are, newspaper is much more difficult because they want a story every day. ESPN, it was more of like, for me at least, it was more of when something's going on and then chime in with them. But um, so, but, but passing, he does a very good job. Yeah. You know, what story uh, uh, stuck with me was that story from Arlington where he went out and bought $500 worth of barbecue and brought, brings it in. I mean, the one thing I, I knew this about pass him before coming in i don't know him as well as you do andrew but like just a likable guy and i i think that 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 just shows it i think that's just that, that's a story that you know doesn't surprise people that would know him i would think and it's good to be a try hard people like i know try these kids hard. now try hard's like a bad thing i don't really get it it's like good yeah try what, what, what are we doing out there don't be a slacker <laughs> good job passing try hard He's a little try. The, the, the suit was a little much. I want to know what some of the legendary writers like George King, uh, who retired from the New York Post a little while ago, when Pazin showed up in his suit and tie, uh, I can only imagine Kinger's reaction. You know, he's a, a classic beat writer and this guy's showing up, you know, and, and George dressed nicely as well. But I mean, I was wearing, I mean, most people didn't wear suits and ties, especially if you're not on TV. If you're on TV, okay, fine. But, you know, you just show up like some people come up in sweats and whatever, but passing always looking uh him and tom verducci always had the suits on i don't know man if he's bringing in free food he can wear whatever he wants as far as I'm, if I'm in the press box you know True. hey let's uh let's go into our call of the week call of the week espn spent so much money on troy and joe buck but I, I cannot stop watching the Manning, uh, the Manning cast. I love everything about the Manning cast. And we had another typical Manning cast moment during the 49er Rams game on Monday night. He was running a post route right across the 50 and a security guard took him out. But a, a, nice, a nice hit though, right? It was a nice legal hit. Uh. Yeah, I thought we could show that. Yeah, I understand. I think we could. You know, yeah, they don't want to talk about it. I understand it. the A team couldn't show it, but the B team, like, we should be able to show that. I think that's why. why here you go. Here, oh, yeah. There he is. There he is. Not, yes. Oh, yes. yes. That's what we're talking Wagner. about. Wagner. Bobby. A veteran, right? Get him down. Now get out and tackle. let these guys take over. Oh, Bobby Wagner. Veteran play. This brings up one of my pet peeves. Only in sports television, like, that would. Do executives decide, hey, here's something that makes the crowd stand up and cheer, that makes announcers a little bit giddy. Everybody wants to see, and they oh, no, no, you're not mature enough to take a look at some idiot running on the field. Show us what, what's happening on the field. Look how that went viral. I, I want to start a movement where TV networks 
stop being so serious and just just show that it's not going to cause more people to jump on the field that's that's total folly people are still jumping on the field and doing it i get i look i i think it's one of those old time rules that they kind of nobody probably wants to bring up like why can't we show this uh but you're you're not wrong Right. By the way, a uh, lot of things. Every time there's one of those and the announcers are like, oh, we can't show this to you. I go right to Twitter and, and there were like 50 uh, the different videos from people in the stands. Uh, it's very easy to see what's happening anyway. Just show it. People like to see it. Yeah. And I liked how Peyton referred to them as the B team. Um, <laughs> get A money. So that's pretty good. D10 games, be the B team, get A money. But Peyton, he, he likes the self-deprecation, which is... Uh, Usually a good realm if you're someone like Peyton Manning. Uh, so, all right, it's been one year, John. I've it's been my pleasure, uh, you know, spending every week talking with you. And we'd be remiss if we didn't. The guys who really put this together every week, AC White and Chris Mason, they're the blood and guts of this uh, podcast. So we really appreciate them uh, as you know they, they're the ones who uh, have to edit this and, and deal with us all weeks. Uh, and so uh, they've lasted a year. Let's see if they can make it another year. Yeah, not to get too inside baseball. I I think one year is a great milestone, but everybody we talk to says you need to have 100 episodes under your belt. 200 episodes, somebody told me. How many? 200. 200 episodes. I can't wait that long, Andrew. (laughs) If I haven't successful, someone told me 200 episodes. Four (laughs) years, man. I don't know if we'll we'll make it, maybe. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, We will see you next week with our scheduled big, big get, another baseball one. Pedro Martinez. See if he does any Elmo impersonations.